My name is Ray Park, you may know me as playing Darth Maul the Phantom Menace, Bone Wars, and also Solo at Star Wars Story. You're listening to Star Wars Stuff Podcast, the force is strong with you all. And remember, sit walk. Hey, this is Dominic Pace, who plays Gecko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian, letting you all know you are listening to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. Wishing everybody all the best. May the force be with you. Hello, everyone, welcome back to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast, where we talk all things Star Wars. My name is Colin. My name is David. I'm Carl. I'm Josh. And we're here to break down chapter 22 of The Mandalorian, uh, Guns for Hire. Um, overall, I thought the episode was great. Uh, I'm just going to give my rating right off the bat, because then that will kind of make you question my thoughts throughout the episode until we get to the end. But I'm going to give it a solid point, 6.5 um, out of 10 for this episode. I I thought it was great. Um it definitely felt like a Law and Order, um, NCIS type episode. It was very interesting. Uh, but the can from the celebrity cameos to the actual plot and actually continuing the o- overall plot for the entire series, um, I think the episode was necessary. How did we all feel about it? Uh, I. Personally, I'm I'm like a five five point five for me. Oh, okay. Uh, this just wasn't. I normally I don't really love Bryce uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's work with uh, Mando. Each of the episodes she's done, I've been a huge fan. And uh, you know, there were there were small things like, I mean, this was like the first. I think this was the first Quarren spaceship that we ever saw. So it was fun to see a Mon Calamari design, kind of with a little, almost a little Empire in it, with the kind of dagger head look to it. And those designs were very fun to see. Uh, but I felt like the celebrity cameos were too face forward. That kind of took me out of it. Like, you know, we had Ben Hur, I think is his name, in like the very first episode of this show, but he had like a hood and he had goggles. And it was like a quick little thing that was like, oh, you can notice it. But he was very covered. He felt Star Wars. This just kind of felt like Jack Black and Lizzo in some costume. Yeah. And in this weird, it it felt very odd. Um, But I mean, yeah, it was a very noir, it was almost noir very prequel uh compared to the original trilogy feeling of a lot of the mandalorian series this one felt more prequel to me in the visual style and everything and uh i don't know it just felt little a lot of the stuff felt hollow and rushed and like they had a, an end goal in mind and they're just kind of forcing stuff to fit what that is instead of yeah. taking their time with it it definitely had the it definitely had the attack of the clone vibes mm-hmm. um especially with like the in with, with, with like the investigating and everything um but yeah yeah david yeah i've only seen it once and that was when it premiered um but i think I, i'll give it a little higher score maybe like a seven seven point five okay um i've only seen it once i need to see it multiple times to really give a final judgment but yeah it was very clone wars-esque those cameos yeah. with jack black and lizzo were just kind of like wow kind of shocking i i couldn't pay no. attention to the dialogue once i saw them there i was like oh my gosh how did this not leak that those those yeah. two actors or people were not in any type of leaks that i saw i heard and... the voice and that like I, i've like first heard the voice and then i was like wait no way and it got close and then you actually kind of hear like him like singing and i'm like holy crap it's it's jack yeah. black you saw what the, the heck? you're like yeah. he literally just walked on set they gave him a yeah. suit or he probably owned that suit in the first place yeah it it, it 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 was just jack black hair jack black beard jack black jack black 
It yeah, just felt I was, like Jack Black being Jack Black. Yeah. I was more like, how? How was this possible that this did not leak? Because the Christopher yeah. Lloyd stuff leaked years ago, it seems like. Oh, yeah. It didn't. He also didn't feel post imperial to me, unless he's putting in like great effort. Like he just kind of felt like Jack Black instead of having a little bit of that background that we could see rather than just being told about it. Yeah. Yeah. They also didn't establish exactly where this planet is, though, like in the grand scheme of things. So uh, if this was like an outer rim planet in the middle of nowhere and he used to be the administrator of it back during the imperial days, he really wouldn't be very imperial per se. He's just like an office holder at, at that point. I believe they said that his job was um, a planner. So, like, I guess he maybe was kind of like a, uh, like, he would prep the Imperials going out for missions and kind of stuff like that is my guess. Or he was a, like, a party planner, like, for the Empire. Or he's just Jack Black. (laughs) Or he's just Jack Black and he's there. I don't know. His, um his his job description for the empire was very vague so i guess we'll never really know but we see that like he butts head heads with um a certain character and then we figure out near the end why what without further ado let's break down the episode uh so we so we open up the episode uh in the middle of space we end up getting a uh a vessel that we've never seen before and then we find out that it belongs to the corn, and this is the and this is something that that Josh and I were talking about earlier, which was this is the first time I think we've seen a corn vessel, um, in like all stars live action, I don't think, or Clone Wars because I don't think it was in Clone Wars or Rebels. We saw underground corn uh, like cities and they're like meeting points with the Separatist shark. Guy. Yes, um, but we never saw vessels. We don't even know if you know they're towers i guess you can call it their cities are the same as mon calamari where they become their spacefaring vessels once they exit atmosphere they fly out we don't know that so this was definitely a smaller corn vessel that had some fun it felt like a corn ship it, it you know it emulated a lot of what the corn species was so you can tell and not just on the in uh, on the outside but in the inside of the ship because then we kind of zoom in onto what we thought was a back to tank but it ends up just being like a tank for the captain to be comfortable and then one of the crew people walk up and pour a drink into the uh and uh into the tank and i was like how is she gonna drink that because it's just like it's just dumping into water at that point the flavor would be gone but i'm not corn so i don't know how they like it's just oh, like well, I had a little little goldfish yeah right it's- Oh yeah, yeah, and they ate the goldfish. So so, uh, if that was like a beverage, maybe the fish soaks up the alcohol, and then (laughs) fish and thus, you know, some vodka-soaked beta fish for you, Captain. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Uh, and I'm I'm no idea why, but the ship felt very Star Star Trekish, like the like the whole captain's chair like thing on. On the Imperial vessel, and then on the on on the corn ship. I don't know. I just got Star Trek vibes. Yeah, yeah. The, the corn, like the bridge layout in the corn ship, is definitely kind of like an Enterprise kind of thing. So yeah, happens in the middle, and then the various different officers kind of around the front of her. Yeah. Now, when you guys first saw the Imperial vessel, did we think? Uh, t- did you guys think that it was? the empire or did you think it was the mercenaries like like the mandalorian mercenaries right off the bat 
I just thought I was going to lead to Moff Gideon. I thought this was going to be a Moff Gideon centric episode. Because I was hoping. I was really, really hoping. The season yeah, getting I, late I early. Kinda, I was kind of in the same boat with the Moff Gideon. That's the way I thought this was going. That Moff Gideon is like, you know, capturing some loot or whatever. He's kind of a pirate off there doing some stuff. I don't know. <laughs> but I didn't think it was going to be Mandalorians. But it makes no. sense. Uh, and then the corn kind of beg for mercy and in a way of saying like, hey, and they're kind of. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Dude. Oh, you're muted there, Colin. Colin? Yeah, I guess he can't hear us either. Oh, good. Uh, just while he's getting that fixed, uh, we jump ahead. We see Axe Woves, Casca Reeves, and then a few other Mandalorians in similar paint jobs. Uh, we then find out it is the Mandalorians that were. Yeah, the same Mandos from the end of season two. And Axe has new armor. He has a new, the new chest plate kind of matching the Boba look. Uh, shoulders have a small different trim on them from season two. So that was really interesting to see. I, I yeah, he had like, a more bluer style suit in season two, I believe. Uh, no, it was, it was a lot of the similar colors. The jetpack was new; didn't have like the gold or the bronze on the top. But he actually had the Boba Fett or Jango armor plates instead of the Din Djarin, uh armor plates. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm agreeing yeah. with you. I'm just saying it. It's, oh, it's yeah. Differing from that kind of almost generic looking blue that he wore in the Eris episode. Then we also saw there was a lot of really fun armor combinations with this kind of night owl sect. I don't know really what to call them, uh, but you know a lot of blues, grays, blacks, um, but very color coordinated. And there's a lot more of them later in the episode. But even now on the bridge, you can see they're much more of a coordinated and cohesive unit as compared to the kind of skilled, like spilled skittles bag that is the armorers sect of Mandalorians. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it it seems like the, these these this group is kind of ignoring everybody's clan they're originally from, or maybe they are all the same clan. I don't know. Uh, but you know, where the armors group obviously is a whole bunch of different clans, and they all wear the individual clan colors. So, yep, I think all the females are wearing the night owl crest on their shoulder armor. At least Casca is, and then the woman stand, standing next to her on the bridge is as well. So they might all be either maybe not all clan crees but a similar thing to how uh, the death watch and the night owls were yeah yeah and mercedes lied to the media she said she wasn't going to be in the season yeah i know that's why i was surprised because i saw their faces and i'm like oh okay i guess they are in this season <laughs> i was like wow cool i mean i was not disappointed because i thought their character was great um i thought axe was a great and antagonist for like the time that he had in this episode. Um, yeah, for you got to speak. 
Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, we we just um, find out that they're here on a mission, and then we see them on Calamari, uh, and they're in love. And he, you could definitely tell that they gave him the young look, the uh, the um, the Mon Calamari look, and that definitely reminded me of the episode from the Clone Wars of the Prince, of just the way that he looked and everything. And I was like, oh, cool, uh, because we really haven't seen a young Mon Calamari on, in live action since Rise of Skywalker, because we saw Admiral Akbar's son. And he didn't, he, he kind of looked like a Mon Calamari, but at the same time he didn't. So it was really cool to see like a more young um, looking Mon Calamari on screen. You know, I I thought that was a little bit too young looking in a way, you know, because that looked like a puppy kind of thing. (laughs) Oversized eyes and like the big forehead. And it's just like, well, I mean, we don't know what the biology of these creatures are. So maybe that's just right. I think little odd looking to me but i think he looked a lot better than the uh aftab akbar did and rise of skywalker i mean this one had you know more of the neck wrinkles it had the Agreed. whiskers i guess coming down as a much less very clean baby face almost shaven mon calamari that we got then it kind of it felt much more like a young one uh that followed along with what older ones look like i also liked how they they broke the tradition of them having kind of those old men Praspy voices because we've got Lou Tenet Beck and Radis that sound like different variants of Akbar. So it's like, yes, I set it a trap. Like they like usually sound like that. So I'm glad that they broke the cycle again by giving him an actual young person's voice. Uh because if you go to um if, if you go to Gox's Edge and you hear Lou Tenet Beck, he sounds like a different variant of Admiral Akbar, and that's the same with Admiral Radis from uh, from Rogue One. He like it, they just sound old, and I'm glad that like we are like you know kind of breaking that cycle because not all of them sound the same, and we've just heard so many times of them sounding the same. So yeah, but yeah, so we uh, we then have them kind of. Um, have them split the Mandalorians take the Mon Calamari uh, um, prince or son of, of the vice warrior or someone uh, yep. back to the planet. And we also uh, kind of get a foreshadowing of where the Mandalorians are at. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah. I really liked this scene. I mean, it's a quick, what, three and a half minutes of just establishing where this sect of Mandalorians is. That was really the scene's entire purpose. And I think it did it really well showing how Mandalorian mercenaries act in a large group scale instead of just having a bounty hunter. Um, We saw a code of honor still come through. And then we also got some fun world building with the continuation of Mon Calamari and Quarren. So I I actually think this scene was really well done as as an establishing for the episode. Yeah, uh, and uh, then we go to the planet Plazir 15. Uh, I they didn't say if it was in the outer rim or not, I don't believe. Uh, yeah, they said it's in the outer rim. Okay, cool. Okay, and it is not, um, it's it sounds like it was a separatist planet, um, back in the day, uh, especially with some of the characters that we meet in the um, uh, 
in this episode. But we have Din and we have Bo and we have Grogu and and they are going to the planet to find the Mandalorians that abandoned Bo. And Bo's gonna try and convince them to to join the cause of taking back the planet Mandalore. Uh, and then as they are about to go land and confront them, they are intercepted uh, by the planetary defenses and they uh, the ship gets kind of turned into autopilot. It wasn't a tractor beam. It was um, it didn't seem like a tractor beam, uh, but the ship's controls were taken over remotely and it turns into autopilot and just lands into a um into a docking area and they exit the ship and they're they're really confused and they're met by an old imperial uh protocol droid what was our first kind of uh impression of the planet when we first got there because the other thing that got me excited was this was the last footage i think from the trailer so now all the trailer footage been seen we haven't seen right because... well we haven't seen the bar droids at this point in time but we do very soon but yeah this episode was the last of the trailer footage right so after yeah. this it's kind of going into the unknown at what point did we see the bar droids and what marketing uh it was like the first or yeah. second trailer yeah because of very we, early on. yeah we talked about it that got that got hunter very excited i think that's the main reason why i i, I remember talking about it um because that was like a thing that like Hunter and our group just talked about for like hours. I originally thought that this was like a either flash forward or something to do with a rebuilding of Mandalore. Yes. Uh, with the very dome centric building design. I thought this was going to be like a north or southern hemisphere Mandalorian sect that they were finding. Uh, but also with the tractor beam taking the ship to a landing pad was very controlling. It yeah. really put me on edge for where they were going because I mean, even on cloud city, when Han was going to visit Lando, uh, it was your landing here and we'll escort you, uh, or off. The they didn't tape. have this the technology. Your this, yeah. is your uh, this is where you'll always land. So it was weird seeing instead of like, this is where you're landing and just trusting people will go there or having some fighters to enforce it. It was like, you're going here and you don't really have a choice. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and then they uh, walk into this kind of subway station, which it reminded me of the tube from the Polar Express of where the elves, you know, hop in it and it goes like super, super fast. I think that's the main thing that it reminded me of. Uh, but they uh, have their um, chain code scanned and they find out who Din and Bo are and they're like, perfect, we just wanted to confirm and then they zoom on through and Bo and Din are trying to determine if they have to blast their way out. They then get to the destination, exit out of it. I'm already getting the capital of Mandalore vibes. Like, it seems like Sundari. It looks like Sundari. It just it looks you know, a lot cleaner than it did in Clone Wars and you can actually see you know outside of the dome and everything like that and then they enter uh what looks to be like a throne room slash dining room and you hear the amazing fun crazy voice of Jack Black you're not sure it's him until you actually zoom on his face and you 
Um, See so yeah, that he's standing next to the actress uh, and singer, uh, the Lizzo, and uh, she is a duchess, and you're just kind of really thrown off. I was thrown off. I was excited, but just seeing him, it just felt like, oh, it's Jack Black. Like, th that's all I, I really saw because he's a very um, outgoing person, and then you even have him sing. And and I think in every project that he's ever been in, he has done at least one song. If um, Bowser sings, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> uh, well, there to confirm that he does. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I I know we already talked about it, but is there any other thoughts about Jack Black of being in the episode? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily know how well that fit. It didn't necessarily yeah. feel all that Star Wars to me. Uh, but at the same time, it's a planet we've never been to. So, okay. Yeah. I guess that's what they're, what they're like. But I know Steve Jack Black is a big Star Wars fan, too. Like, he's a big Star Wars fan. So, I was just thinking it was a matter of time. But I'm glad that he wasn't, you know, forced into a role where it just felt like he wasn't himself. And it seemed like he was playing a character that was very similar to him. So I think that's why the role fit for him. Um, I was not expecting Lizzo to be in there. Th that was like, oh, I didn't know she was a Star Wars fan. I don't know if they were just like, oh, hey, Mandalorian, do you want to check it out? So I would love to hear the backstory behind that casting. They um, really double like double troubled this celebrity cameos like no 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 triple triple it's okay true triple trouble yeah. but like having those two characters like only be seen next to each other always there is like you know you have ones it would have like the establishing shot where we have din and Bo. yeah din looking like this archaic like knight in shining armor Bo, this more neo mandalorian and then cut to in like an interview of jack black and lizzo like it felt very weird Every yep. time it transitioned in those shots between those characters. Yeah. And we then go to, uh, we have them uh, kind of giving a very quick backstory uh, about Jack Black's character. He is a captain um, uh, of, uh, on, 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 on the planet where they're at, but he was part of the empire and, uh, it's it's a very brief moment uh but we just know that he was part of the empire he he was a planner and he was also part of the the program that um her and name was program yeah yeah and he has uh, the pin on his lapel and yep. uh, also his royal guards are old stormtrooper armor with like a cape yeah. and uh flak vest on almost very interesting yeah but no helmets so he understands that people can't see in stormtrooper helmets but he'll keep the rest of the armor yeah and we just kind of understand like the the planet is is a democracy it's it sounds like it's kind of like a dictatorship uh and they heavily rely on droids and we find out in and the later scene, because they're talking about, you know, hey, what do you need us to do? And then they all kind of stand up and they're like, we have a droid problem. And I know Hunter was probably um, like jumping off his couch at that point. Uh, and they just talk about how the 
there's been certain droids that have been malfunctioning and they kind of go out on a terrace and they see the overall city and they, this part kind of confused me because Bo was like, okay, well, if you've got these droids creating problems, um, especially if they're battle droids, they um, it's confirmed later, but they say, you know, there are battle droids and we assume that it's, you know, super battle droids, B1, you know, all, all, all those type of type of separatist droids. But the part where they're like, we could not get the Mandalorians that we hired inside the city because they're an army. Um, uh, but it's okay if you two come on in because you're not part of the army. I think that's a great area. How do we feel about that? My my thing is that that didn't really make a lot of sense because okay great that's part of your culture but still we have a weapons ban in place in the city so weapons ban is a weapons ban why why would the citizens re, re, react differently to two individual Mandalorians that are clearly not part of the other group but still they walk around with the, with weapons on them that seems a little odd that You're kind right. of. Okay, okay. Just like I didn't think the reaction to the blaster fire later on in the episode was really drastic enough. Because if if there's supposed to be a weapons ban and people start shooting, then you would think there would be a bigger reaction by the crowd. I mean, they reacted a little bit, but they didn't just like flee the scene. They could just kind of, oh, what's going on here? You know? Yeah. Kind of odd. But yeah. Yeah, and then they end up making a deal with Din and Bo, which sounds like they want to make an alliance uh, with their planet and Mandalore in the future. And Bo is, you know, kind of looks at Din and is like, well, what do you think we should do? And then Din, you know, just says, you had me at Battle Droids. And then we cut to the next scene and they're kind of on the move and they are um they're trying to figure out of where uh i mean of what their next move will be so how did we feel about um them getting into like this law and order investigation blue bloods type mode because this felt like definitely like that it felt like attack of the clones like it, it was very interesting I've been watching a lot of Castle recently, so okay. I've already like in that kind of mood. But I like it when they push Star Wars into weird subgenres. I mean, Mandalorian season one was no stranger to that. We had the heist episode. We've had very Western episodes. We've had samurai episodes. We've had a lot of properties, especially recently in Star Wars, where they're kind of pushing it into a different subgenre to see how the world operates within that. So I was very fine with them going into a kind of Friday night crime drama yeah. view of what this episode could be. Um, is is an interesting take. It it felt like they found a way to convey the story in a way that has been done in Star Wars before, which I liked. Agreed. I definitely felt different, but you also kind of feel that familiar vibe as well because it definitely felt Clone Wars-ish. And I don't know if it's because they, they mentioned stuff in the Clone Wars a lot in it or they, you know, actually had battle droids in it, but it definitely felt like that Clone Wars vibe. Uh, they We then go into a giant security room 
and we are then uh, looking at old footage. And the person in charge of the old footage is Commissioner Hogate, played by Christopher Lloyd. The old rumor was that Christopher Lloyd was going to be playing a Mandalorian elder, but he's just playing this kind of one-off character. Will we see him again? Maybe, but probably not. Uh, how did we feel about uh, about the the introduction of his character in this? Because because after I saw Jack Black and Lizzo, I was not expecting to see a other familiar face. I, I mean, it was fine. My problem in general is the character was very flat. I don't know if that was the writing or his performance, but like there was no. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he was saying things, but there was no voice in It was just kind of like, yeah, okay, this is going on. And there was no sense of danger, urgency, or anything coming out of that character to me, anyways. It was kind of like, yeah. here, here's some here's some info, move along, kind of thing. Yeah, which I mean, in hindsight, like one, you know, he's the cause behind it. He's not going to have that much worry about what the situation is. Uh, and it also, you know, like, these crime dramas are where some dude is like loading boxes on a car and then yeah. the cops try to talk to him and he's just, yeah, someone died. I guess I'm just going to keep moving these boxes. Cause that's all I'm going to do. Like it, it was reminiscent of that kind of feeling, but I agree. I think, I think he fit better than Jack Black or Lizzo did. I don't know if that was the room he was in or, you know, it, it didn't feel like I was watching Christopher Lloyd. It felt like I was watching this kind of indifferent old guy character so do they need christopher lloyd probably not but it didn't feel like they were relying on the fact that it's christopher lloyd to get this character across yeah yep uh but at the same time it was great seeing him because i just I, I i i love him as an actor and everything he does he's very passionate about it i don't know if he was a star wars fan so i'm i'm also very intrigued on how they approached him coming into star wars but it was very very great he points them in the direction of the ugnots and we have not seen uh a ugnot since um season one amando uh from uh with uh quail so they they go to the kind of underground of the city uh and something else as well is din's very skeptical about droids and i think it might because it's battle droids specifically because we thought that whole journey of him hating droids was over after season one after after ig11 sacrificed himself and saved them and you definitely felt that vibe in the very first episode of this season because it was like i need ig11 back so now i'm curious if going forward if he's going to end up hating droids again i really hope not but there's I, always that case. But I think it's mainly because it, it was Battle Droids directly involved. Like he was kicking a super battle droid in the next scene here, which is, you know, the droid that killed his parents. Not not the exact droid, but you know, the same type of droid. I it felt hmm, I understand they they immediately said, Bo told it to us that Din is taking this personally. Uh it's a personal battle for him. And so how he's going to approach droids is different than we saw in previous. Now, do I think that it kind of undermines a lot of the growth the character has had? Yeah, I do. Um, kicking SBDs, that's fine. Like, that's understandable. But, like, threatening the bartender with the shock thing to pull out his memory circuit yeah. or whatever it was, it was a very, like, 
especially jumping from this Ugnaught conversation where we saw the reflection of how Quill kind of taught Din to be uh, how to handle himself in group situations and negotiations, uh, yeah. especially in how Quill and Mando handled the Jawas back in season one, episode two. Yes. So we kind of had that mirror of Din learning how to be, uh, how to work with different species and how to also negotiate with them. And so jumping from Din being really good at being persuasive and kind and working with people to jumping to that interrogation tactic was very odd to kind of jump from in the same episode. Yeah, I thought um, I thought the way that he handled this also to me kind of felt like he grew as a character, but it also showed some le- leadership skills um, in Din, in my opinion, uh, which you know kind of pointed me towards the oh maybe he might own up to the whole being the leader of uh, of of Mandalore and 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 the dark saber thing, uh, but we find out later that is wrong um but we you know find out that the whole thing of where quail was was saying uh i've spoken and everything is actually part of the way that the ugnots talk it wasn't just that character in particular and we never heard them talk in live action until the mandalorian we have seen them in empire strikes back first we then see them in rebels uh um and and in clone wars as well but but in live action was the first time we actually hear them speak um, uh, in human. So I thought that was very, very interesting. Um, uh, and I don't think we know who the person playing the main Ugnaught that was talking, or we do. I didn't see in the credits. James last night on the post show was saying that he was thinking that maybe one of those guys was Clint Howard. Oh, really? Okay. And you figure Misty Rosas is there too. Yeah, yeah Misty. Uh, yeah definitely probably misty and also it's interesting to see that i have spoken being a more cultural thing similar yes. to that this is the way instead of just kuil being a super awesome old man uh yeah. we now have you know it is, it is part of ugnaught culture which is interesting and uh yeah. you know it gives the ugnaughts that flavor that they've been missing for a very long time yeah uh and they they are quickly um they are quick to ignore Bo, and then as soon as uh Din says, you know, hey, I actually uh I actually was friends with an Ugnaught. Um and uh and we would like to ask you some questions. I have spoken. They all just kind of look up at him and they're like, Oh, okay. Like he <laughs> he knows our culture and everything. We'll give him a chance. This guy's and, cool. <laughs> right, right. So they all sit down, they're all talking. Uh, and they get insulted by by Bo and Din, and then Din, you know, kind of sucks up to them and says, like, you know, that Ugnaughts are the best um, droid welders uh, in the galaxy, and they're hard workers and all that stuff. And then they're like, you know what, this guy's cool. Here's here's the information, and they give him the information. Um, and then they end up going to uh it's it's kind of like the docks oh sorry go ahead you know you know the what it wasn't just me or does it because i kind of expected him to get the ig11 part from these guys yeah and i'm guessing that's still going to happen because it's still on the planet because i'm pretty sure at the beginning of next episode he's going to go back to those guys and go get his part 
because the likelihood is pretty since they have this accumulation of various different droids from all over the galaxy from the, and they make it a point in the episode several times to point out that they're various different generation like as far as tech level goes uh that's where they, i'm guessing that's where the ig level part's going to come from okay here's my question though going back to episode one of this season did they say that Din was going to search for the part, or did yeah. they say that, okay, all right. If Din so, can yeah. bring back the part, they'll fix the IG unit. Okay. I could see it happening in the next episode, but if it does happen, it's going to be really quick, or they're going to do it at the very end of, of the season or something, because we've only got two episodes left, right? right? <laughs> we have a lot of ground to cover. A lot of ground to cover. So, um... <laughs> And the whole point of getting that part for IG-11 was for them to go to Mandalore. But now that it's no longer needed because it's breathable on the planet, you know, I think he might do it just to have IG-11 back as a guardian for Grogu. But the whole point of of getting IG Eleven back was to ha- you know kind of solve if you could. Well, that, that was it initially, but now they also need firepower, and IG Eleven right. definitely has firepower. So yeah, so they are going to gather the Avengers. I mean the uh, the group of of the Mandalorians and Jedi and everything eventually to fight the big battle. Again, it could be Thrawn. It could be something else. Who knows? But that will happen later. Uh, so we get to the um, to the it's pretty much the docks they end up getting to the docks and we are greeted by uh super battle droids we are we are seeing you know um a bunch of different separatist droids Bo is walking down the ramp and she's saying you know this reminds me of the clone wars that's a callback to her being in the clone wars tv show uh and just seeing the droids live action was great um having having matthew wood come back and do the voice of the of the b1 droid foreman was fantastic uh i had the chance to meet him uh at celebration last year in anaheim and he's such a nice guy and he's very talented and he he is pretty much ben bird's apprentice like he learned all of his sound design and everything from him so he is very very talented and he's done so many different voices for star wars as well but having him come back was great we have them talk to the foreman he's saying i have no idea what you're talking about you know these droids you know were meant for war so be careful don't don't piss them off Sure enough, Din looks like he's um, letting his feelings get the best of him, and he, and he kicks every super battle droid that walks by him just to uh, get a reaction out of one of them. He does. It just drops him so quickly and then starts running. Seeing them run like that reminds me of Star Wars Battlefront because I because if we never see the droids run that fast on, 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 on the, unless you're playing the games. So seeing that super battle droid just knock him out and just start sprinting, I was like, "Are are you playing Star Wars Battlefront too?" Like, man, like he's going. Um, how do we feel about that? First, quick question: Did anyone else feel like the B one's eyes were like farther apart slightly than in the <laughs> other movies? Like it looked like I, I was like every time I saw the face, I was like, "That looks like the eyes are a little bit farther." Either the Clone Wars or I was trying to look at the movie screenshots, and it looks like they're a little bit farther. Okay. I feel like it gives them this like Sid the Sloth look, and I'm mm. kind of here for it. 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't necessarily notice, but it could also just be the paint job. It, I mean, it could be. They had there was some armor geometry changes, especially in the chest area on the B one as well. But uh, yeah, no, that's just a small thing. Uh, we got linebacker SBDs though. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Yeah, the whole scene made me think about Attack of the Clones actually, with Anakin Obi Wan running through uh, that part of Coruscant with all the lights and the club, and ending up in that bar. And we also saw Bo using her jetpack uh, in kind of small bursts where Din would just jump over something. She'd use her jetpack or then they dive. Bo would use her jetpack. So we kind of see a continuation of Bo's excellence in using that. And Din's kind of not that used to having it still, even though he's had it for a good deal of time. Uh, I kind of thought, why didn't they just use it to catch up to the droid? Yeah, like fly over. Yeah, yeah right. that's what, kind of what I was thinking, dude. Like when he's cutting the, cutting through the side side alley and through the building and whatnot, I'm like, why don't you just fly over the top of it and get in front Because of it? then it wouldn't have been a good chase, Carl. That's why. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I will say something. This episode actually felt more Mandalorian than the other episodes. And I think it's because of the music. The music definitely felt more season one-ish. And I and I don't know if 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 Ludwig had more involvement in this episode, but the music was great. I love the music in this episode. I don't think uh, he did. But okay, well also didn't didn't have his jetpack on. I just uh, noticed that when I was going through. Okay. Uh, and something else that a lot of people aren't talking about in this episode is that Bo doesn't even have her helmet with her. Like she just has her like helmet completely off. She's not even carrying it, uh, which I think it's because, you know, she's kind of going off of what the armor said from the last episode of where it's like she is walking. Um, she walks in both worlds. So she is Mandalorian. She does walk the way, but she also is uh, is not is not part of the watch as well. And I think that will definitely unite the Mandalorians in the future. But I love that touch of where she wasn't carrying her helmet. And and she's very, um, sh- she is understanding and listening to the armor. And I think if she wore the helmet, it would kind of defeat the purpose from um, the last episode of where the armor had her take off the helmet. But well, well, Plus in this episode, she's supposed to be the diplomat. So yeah. you can't be a diplomat with a helmet on. That just doesn't work. Right. So we have them, uh, you know, chase the battle droids through the streets it ends up with din jumping through a a cantina window it looked like and he and he and he tackles the droid he does one shot in the chest and then bow takes it out in the back with two shots and then right away you have the small police barricade droids kind of pull up and they put hologram caution police tape how did we feel about that because that was like really I was like, okay, uh, yeah. Even though they, they, didn't they? Haven't we seen that before in, in in some of the animation? I don't think we saw that in Clone Wars. I was just um, rewatching. I, I want to say the... it's in Rebels, actually. Really? When? Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember the because during the Age of the Empire, the like actual like policing was, you know. The Empire and right. and and they really didn't investigate things. They were more like, you know, you know what? I saw you do this. I thought I saw you do this. You're guilty. And and that's a fine example of Andor where where Cassian did nothing and they just pinned him against the wall and they, and they were like, you know what? I saw you running. You look guilty. You're going to jail. So I don't think we saw any of that. Um, 
in, yeah. in Rebel Sun, I think. But uh, we then have them go to what looks like a, what looks like a a droid morgue. Um, yeah, that was a bit odd. What? Oh yeah, yeah. No, shoot. Yep. Sorry. You're right. I jumped ahead. Which we can skip because Hunter's eventually going to talk. Yes. About so yeah. Um, and I'll briefly talk about that. So Hunter and I, um, a dear friends of ours, and we have a couple of announcements after celebration. Uh, but we are going to be talking a lot about that droid scene because there's a lot to talk about, and we're actually going to be talking more about droids in the future. Uh, a um, there were a couple of different Easter eggs from different Star Wars projects, and including Galaxy's Edge in there. I saw a couple of droids from Galaxy's Edge, but again, Hunter Smoke and I will definitely talk about it in the future. Um, so stay tuned after celebration for some from special announcements from us. But anyways, um, after they talk to the droid bartender, uh, they they get some information um, about like of where the different drinks come from, where the, the different, you know, uh, droids come off planet. They end up going to what we, you know, kind of see as a droid morgue and they have the super bell droid um, kind of be investigated and they take an they take an oil sample. But it looks like a blood sample. And yeah, I was so like, okay. <laughs> we learned that droids have a specific drink that uh, has nano nanobytes, nano code, yeah. whatever the heck, that it kind of patches the reprogramming, I guess. Uh, which is a very weird thing, but it comes in batches, uh, and each batch has a slight difference to it. And so it was that, which is a very interesting kind of twist on droids drink instead of drinking alcohol it's laced with nanoparticles of code with orabesh on it uh but yeah. yeah no i think i think the droid morgue was the most over the top like hammer at home we are trying yeah, to that, be that, that, I, I, I i'm I, I wasn't really on board with that scene i'll be honest i just felt <laughs> a lot of place it's like why why i mean if fine you want to have the droids sitting on a table somewhere and they're they're you know looking at it but why put it in a drawer in the first place yeah like why uh, is it in a drawer in a wall of drawers like yeah, 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 yeah you dismantle they, like we've always is yeah yeah <clears throat> agreed you can always rebuild droids so it's just like right. oh okay uh yeah, it's not like they require cooling mm -hmm. so they don't decay i mean yep uh um but then they talk about you know if they're is a bad program in the droids if it's still active and then all of a sudden the interrogation droid that we saw from a new hope uh it's the same type of droid but it is white not black and it goes crazy and it's got green lasers and it starts like you know trying to kill everyone and we see din um kind of dodge it and then Bo and the and the doctor person i don't know the correct term for her job but they both get semi-zapped and then den turns on the dark saber for the last time and cuts it in half mm -hmm. uh and i definitely love that i i loved din's and bo's dynamic in the episode i think this definitely helped them build as uh as partners and re and rebuilding mandalore and also just partners in general for you know going on adventures and they then end up uh you know going back to the computer and finding out what's actually causing these droids to malfunction and it's nanobots 
And we haven't seen nanobat. Yeah, we have not seen the nanobots since season five of the Clone Wars uh, from the episode of where Ahsoka was accused of blowing up the Jedi Temple and and actually killing a civilian. Uh, so that was cool to see. There were a lot of Clone Wars Easter eggs in this episode, and this wasn't even the last Clone Wars Easter egg. Uh, because we then find out that um, that 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 the commissioner, Christopher Lloyd's character, is the person that is behind everything. And then we go back to where we saw his character. They interrogate him. He freaks out. He then, you know, says, "You can't take me down. The the corrupt." The corrupt republic couldn't do it, and the empire couldn't do it. And then Bo puts two two together, says you're a separatist, and then he compliments Count Dooku. That was a cool Easter egg, and and he said that Count Dooku was a visionary, uh, and and he was about to say who took him down, which that would have been an also cool, um, uh, a cool Easter egg as well. But then Bo is like, you know what, I'm done with the talking, and just you know. Uses her gauntlet, shoots him down. He goes down for the count. He's not dead. He's just, you know, kind of sitting there stunned. Uh, and then Bo ends the whole thing by saying, ah, politics. And then we cut to the next scene. Um, how did we feel about him being the antagonist of the episode and end up being the um, the main villain of... Yeah, with, with all the buildup that they had storyline wise, I kind of thought they were going to do a little bit more elaborate of a conclusion to this instead of a, oh yeah he did it and we're we're done, uh, because the, they didn't. It was just kind of a quick oh yeah the, the storyline's closed let's move on, uh, which they did need to move on I get that because we're running out of episodes for them to get this whole crew together to take back Mandalore but. Uh, it, 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 like with, with as much how much time they spent you know investigating everything the conclusion was just kind of like oh yeah slap some cuffs on and take them away we're done uh I don't know. That, that, that could have been i i think take a little bit out of the uh investigation and put a little bit more into the conclusion that would have been better balanced in a way okay but i mean somebody had to have done it so there you go yeah I uh I I did like I did like the character Hellgate. I just thought that his view was very interesting because he um he had the mind of a separatist and you know the empire was no better. Um and I and he also kind of explained to why they didn't you know, kind of shut down the droids earlier because if they shut down the droids, then all of the population would have to actually work for a living. They they depend on droids now. And this is because Captain Bombarda has kind of taken control of that program. And he's the one that brought the droids in. So I think what they're saying is, you know, true um uh like i see i see both standpoints i i think having the droids come in 
um, kind of serving their purpose. The droids also want to serve that purpose. They actually um, said that during the droid bar scene, uh, but also, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of very similar on how we are today where we're, we're on social media. We have our phones. We, we rely on that. If you take that away, most of the population would go crazy, um, uh, especially the new generation. Well, yeah, it, by the way, we rely on phones. Well, it wasn't just me, or did that feel like the, the finale, uh, final part portion of Wally? Yeah, that whole yeah, planet where, where they're all just kind of you know slopping around and having a good time, and <laughs> <laughs> and the yeah. robots take care of everything. I got I got a very Wally vibe and a yeah. very similar like theme between the two like right. yeah. humans being lazy with the growth of technology yeah, yeah. i mean they weren't they weren't on little beds getting car you know floating around but no. other than that <laughs> spd was yeah uh we then are we're back in the palace uh and we see that they're playing kind of like a croquet game uh, and it, and and also, I think it's kind of a Disney Easter egg because it reminds me of the the game in Alice in Wonderland where they use like the small um, muskrat type creature, and like she would like kind of you know use her club, and it 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 was an actual like a live creature that that would kind of roll up in a ball. So I I thought that was like a small disney easter egg there but then we see them kind of playing the game and we see the only reason why she's winning is because grogu is using the force to make the ball like creature go through the um hoops and then we have Bo and mando um bring in uh bring in hellgate for justice and then they kind of talk about how um uh hellgate hates um captain bombarda because he in his eyes he weakened the population of the planet and he did not see it as a good thing he saw it as a sign of weakness and he was so used to the separatist way that's why he looked up to count dooku so much and they uh they then um sentence him to exile uh, and then he walks off screen. I don't think we'll see him again. Do you think no, we'll see I, his character again? No. It's a one-off. Yeah. yeah that, that seemed like a complete one-off. I don't want to, want to spend more time explaining who that guy was. You know, yeah. Giving him like a full-on backstory, maybe. But, yeah. I could see him maybe in season three of, of The Bad Batch. I could see him in some other, you know, show. Oh, yeah. I think you, can, having... you can use that character but yeah. I don't think you're going to full-on like bring him back in this show. I no, no, no. Uh, and then we have uh, them finally come to the conclusion of being like, all right, you have accomplished this mission. You now have permission to go see the other Mandalorians. And then Grogu is knighted with an actual sword. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it was like, okay. Cool. Yeah, that, that, that that felt out of place, wasn't it? That, yeah. that was like a non-Star Wars moment there, like a little Disney princess thing going on. It, it, it added <laughs> more out of placeness to the out of placeness of those characters and what the yeah. way they were presented. It just kind of is very odd. Listen, I love going to these very weird um 
planets and kind of exploring you know different cultures of star wars and more world building as much as the next person but this place was weird man this place is weird <laughs> give me an odd one that feels like like you know like someone like freetown or something like back yeah. when it was uh moss pelgo like i don't yeah. know like it feels like all these weird new planets are zany and colorful and odd care like it feels like it's all just kind of recolors of the same odd planet instead of yep having enough difference between them to be different but still feel star wars exactly uh we then have them go back uh into the into the super fast subway pod thing there's no name for it so i'm just hyperloop hyperloop thank you uh uh and they are kind of talking about the plan of how she will convince axe and the rest of the mandalorians to to join the cause and she's like, I don't know. I'll just come up with something w w when I get there. And they end up getting there. She ends up talking to Axe. And Axe you know, says, I'm not going to give up my, my role of leadership. I've grown very fond of it. And then Bo challenges him um, for that right of leadership. And Axe accepts. And they start their fight. I thought their fight was great. Um I had no problem with it. I thought the whole choreography was fantastic. The their their I didn't really see any stunt double stuff happening. I think we saw their faces the entire time, like as far as my knowledge goes. There, there were a couple. Uh, oh, there you, were. Okay. Cause... Yeah, you, you can see uh, uh, the the stunt double for the standing for Bo-Katan in a couple of the scenes. Okay. But it's right. very very split. It split is right on the cut. So you, okay. can, you can you can see it, but who cares? I mean, they, they, yeah. we all know that they use stunt this stunt yeah. people for this stuff. Yeah. So. Interestingly, uh, uh, <clears throat> the newly acquired Moff Gideon's ship actually has a new paint job on the underside of it uh, after it's acquired by Mandalorian. So they have. When I first saw it, I was really weirded out because it looks it's a basically a red. Uh, oh no, I, I know what it is. It's a giant red mythosaur skull. Uh, you can see the horn and you can see the teeth, which are facing towards the teeth are facing towards the front of the ship. It's fantastic. Uh, I'll send you a picture, Colin. Uh, but yeah, no. So a giant, because I first saw it and I saw the horn and I was like, is that like a Thrawn reference? Because it yeah. wasn't there back in season two, but no, it's a giant blood red mythosaur skull on the bottom of this old Imperial cruiser. And they end up fighting and Bo wins, which I never thought that she would lose. Uh, and then Axe says, you know, how come you are challenging me? You should be challenging Din for the Darksaber if you want to be the prideful person in, 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 in charge and, and ruler of Manowar. And then uh, she defends Din because Axe also says that uh that he's not even a true mandalorian because he does not um uh, he is he does not have actual mandalorian blood running through his veins now there's a couple of harry potter east um uh a, a couple of harry potter preferences here i know not everyone's a fan of harry potter but just hear me out um so to me it sounds like there are a couple of the the Mandalorians that are about the pure blood of Mandalore. Like if you were born a Mandalore, 
you are good. If you're not, like you are a mug, um, uh, you are a mudblood, which is you know translated into you are, um, you have magical powers, but your parents didn't have that, and they, uh, and then Bo defends him, and Din is like, hey, here's. Here's the dark saber. And then she's like, it can't be a gift. You know, I like have to earn it from you. And then he's like, it's not a gift. And now here's another Harry Potter reference, um, uh, which is in Harry Potter. Um, if you are in a battle and you disarm the person um, uh, in battle, uh, you end up getting their wand. That wand now belongs to you. Not That's only just the elder wand. Well, no, nope. Okay. That's for all of Yeah. So with that being said, it's very similar to this because Din explains when he um when he got um captured in, in episode two of this season, uh he lost the dark saber to that creature. But then when Bo came in and defeated the creature, she then gained the right back to the dark saber. Well, that's very similar to what they do in Harry Potter. And there's that gray area. Now, there's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of um, people that don't agree with the way that this was written. In my opinion, I think it was written the best way that they could. Because it didn't make sense for Din and Bo to fight. Because Din never wanted the Darksaber in the first place. As soon as he won it, he wanted to give it to her. But she said no. So if they fought for it, I could see Din just being like, okay, I really don't want this. I'm just going to lose on purpose. And that fight would be very short. It would be like, you know, he's he, he's not even trying. And and if it was different throughout the season of where they were trying to maybe build him up to be the leader more, then I would be like, okay, maybe he wants it now. But he never wanted it. So it, it didn't make sense for me for them to fight. And we have, uh, we then, you know, have um him then saying you know isn't this the correct way am i not right and then access like yeah you're right she is technically the the owner of the dark saber and then she takes it and then we kind of get that shot that josh was talking about earlier of where she she just has the force in, in the background din's right next to her and then she turns the dark saber and then the episodes episode fades to black um how did we feel about the way that, that she got the dark saber? Because I think it was, you know, um, these past couple episodes with Bo, I think it helped grow. Um, it, it helped her grow as a character. And it now to me, it feels like she has earned that, that role again. She's earned the dark saber when, in when she earned it back in rebels, I don't think she actually earned it. Like it was just given to her, but now it makes sense because she understands um, more than than just her clan, she, she she's understanding more of the Mandalorian way. Yeah, and at the time in Rebels, we didn't know that it had to be won in battle and Correct. all that stuff. Um, I mean, the 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 final shot of her igniting the dark saber, the dark saber hook magically appears on her belt, like it's yep. now there in that shot, which is odd to see. Um, I just want to highlight really quick. Uh, Axe Wove's perspective on Din, which is very, it's like it's almost a a mirror image of how Din talked to Axe when they met in season two, when they all removed their helmets and Din was like, Oh, you guys aren't Mandalorian. And then just got Axe saying, well, he doesn't have a drop of Mandalorian blood in him. He's not a Mandalorian. He's a zealot. So you had this 
kind of reflection of just these people picking at petty differences uh, and then Bose trying to get them to overlook that, which is very, it was interesting to see that mirror reflection back at Den. Yeah. Yep. I, 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 again, I think that she earned, um, I think she earned this in the right way. Not everyone's happy about it, but I think the way, um, that she actually received it this time made sense for story and her character, David, Carl, how do we, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Now the only thing that, that I was kind of like, well, why didn't they realize this before? Like, why did she even give it back to him? Because shouldn't she have immediately realized, hey, look, I, I just earned this? I don't and think the, she was thinking about it. I think she was as surprised as the other as the other Mandalorians were um, uh, that Din kind of came up with that. Um, which, again, I don't think Din came up with it. I think it was more of like, oh, you know what? I didn't even think about that. That's totally true. And... Again, going back to Harry Potter, that's kind of what happened as well because because you have Voldemort that didn't um, uh, he didn't uh, uh, he didn't realize that Harry disarmed Draco in that one battle. So Harry was the owner of the Elder Wand, and that's why the Elder Wand never worked for him. So I again the. It's it's very very similar, so I don't know if they're big fans of Harry Potter, but there's a reference right there. Um, but yeah, so again, I, I I I it makes sense. It's not for everyone, but I it definitely makes sense. You know of of the way that that she got it, David. Yeah, I'm totally fine with it. The way that Bogatan obtained the dark saber, um, with the way that they've constructed. Bo-Katan this season it, it really would be out of place if she would have challenged in and, and the way that their relationship I think now is set up um, this was the most natural most logical way and uh, I don't think there's any controversy with it it just shows that Bo-Katan is now more humble of a person I think she's grown um, the way that she didn't say okay well I defeated that creature so Darksaber's mine no she kind of was patient she was humble about it and um that just really kind of speaks to her character and i know before the season happened we all thought she was going to maybe be the villain and then once we saw the first episode we were uh, i was thinking that she was playing some type of long game to challenge din and and retake the dark saber but no it, it seems like she is a very moral character and uh feloni and Favreau decided to make her that way and I think that's actually the harder way to do it uh, other than the whole kind of cliche way of making her the, the, the secret villain with the nefarious plan. So I'm, I'm satisfied with it. Uh, when Grogu went to Bo in episode one, episode two, um, and she said, let's finish off this guy once and for all or something similar to that. I'm still wondering what that alluded to, if that's still a plan on her agenda if that's kind of something she abandoned after more time with din and seeing more what what he is and who he is um but i'm interested to see that because i i agree she's kind of playing more into the not having an agenda against din she's wanting to work with him and she's learning and understanding having a lot of growth this season in her view of mandalorians are uh but i am curious if we're ever going to get a 
a reasoning or an explanation of what that goal was that she obviously had at the beginning of the season. That seems to be yes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think it was definitely hinted at that she was trying to plot against him to take it. Yeah. Um, and but again, it was very obvious from from episode at from the season two finale that Din didn't want the dark saber. Um, it was very hard for him to use, even when he was trying to train for it. Uh, again, you know, I I I think it just it it made sense for this to happen because even if they had that fight, I would have just been like, Din doesn't want it. Like he's totally going to lose. Like we, I I think one of the other reasons why we didn't have the fight is because we knew that Din was going to lose and she was going to get it because it didn't make sense for the plot for Din to be the leader because Din never wanted it in the first place. And, and if they maybe hinted it, you know, throughout the season that, you know, Din wanted to be the, you know, the actual leader and more of it, then that would have been like, okay, they're fighting. He actually wants it. The fight's going to make sense. But now there is not that fight there. Um, he is not resisting it, you know, of, of giving it to her because he never wanted it. The fight would have just, you know, been super quick. And I just had a debate with Star Wars Exchange about it. Um, because it's it is very it's it's a very interesting take on on the dark saber and they keep adding more lore to it on how you can you know actually be the leader and everything and again in star wars rebels we didn't know you know exactly what like josh was talking about and now years later it's if you want it you have to win it in combat and, and we didn't even know that all the way back in the clone wars so it's it's something that was you know at, you know added o- o- over the years um but now that she does have the dark saber what's next what's going to happen are they all going back to navarro gathering forces and then they'll go from there is moff gideon going to attack them is max rebo going to come out of retirement out of the shadows like what's going on i mean you need to know Last season, episode six was the episode Grogu got taken away. Like it was yep. a very plot heavy. We knew where it was going. Yeah. I, I mean, this entire season felt so directionless and so odd. And yep. after Bad Batch, I'm starting to think that we're going to get a similar thing where a lot of people thought we were going to get the end of the Clone Rebellion, huge battle at the end of that season. People are starting to think we're going to get the retaking of Mandalore end of the season. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to keep yeah, doing yeah. setup. Keep moving the chess pieces to where season four, season five is going to be their big play. And this really is just a setup season. And I'm yes. really disappointed with how we've had that with both this and Bad Batch. 
I, I, I agree. I, I think at this point, there, there's just no time to tell an effective story for the retaking of Mandalore. Mm -hmm. you know. So, so yeah, I think that that's going to be safe for season four as a story. As a story, uh, it seems like all they're doing this season is closing out pre-existing storylines that they had opened in season one and two, and just like, okay, we're going to shut all this stuff down, uh, reverse out what we don't want to use anymore, and kind of trim the fat, so to speak, so that you can just kind of move on from here. Yep. Boba uh, Fett's been entirely trimmed out. Yeah, I, I don't... I, I, to be quite honest, I don't think we're going to see Boba Fett again. I have no clue. I am... I. It, it's odd jumping from where Book of Boba Fett had that kind of yeah. season 2.5 where it was like, oh, this is how they're setting up for season 3 of Mandalorian. And then now season 3 just feels like this is how they're setting up for season 4 of the Mandalorian. So... Yep. A lot of setup, a lot of setup, and a lot of almost directionless setup where it feels very just they're doing it just to do it instead of it feels natural. We still haven't seen Moff Gideon only by mention, and we also only see him in a couple of the recaps. But other than that, you know, we haven't seen him yet. And he's been, you know, hinting at that he wants he wants revenge. He, you know, of of uh, of the actor. I actually just saw him um, over at MegaCon, and I'm telling you right now, he is the most inspirational and inspiring, like you know, um, motivational speaker I've ever seen. And he is passionate about his work and what he does. Uh, so, yeah, I am. I'm just excited to see what happens, and we've seen all of the footage um, from the trailers. So that's it. We haven't seen any of the new stuff. Um, there, uh, th that's gonna come out um, next week, and then the week after that. And we've only got two episodes left. But yeah, that's it. So yeah, that was overall the episode. That was great. Yeah. Um, we got. We have celebration starting on Friday. And Carl, David, not this Josh, but the other Josh, are going to be hopping on our flights real soon. And we'll yeah. be in London. As a matter of fact, it's time to get dressed and get ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah no. We so. also got the uh, the fan film Tuck Tales trailer. Yes, I, I, I saw 12 that. hours ago. Yeah. Which looks just like Clone Wars animation, but done by six guys. That's crazy. amazing there's also the one coming out on May 4th of where it's the Clone Wars animation, but it's Anakin and Obi-Wan and Mustafar fighting. Um, oh yeah. That's coming out soon too. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, that is everything for this episode. Uh, please go check out all of our stuff on, um, on social media this weekend. Um, uh, especially on YouTube, on, on Twitter, on Facebook, and Instagram, all that, because we are going to be at Celebration. We are going to be dropping the news. Um, there's not that many of the uh, fact pages going over there, so we are going to be one of the only ones over there getting that exclusive information. So if you want that, go and check us out. Uh, it's going to be a great time. If you are going to Celebration and you see us, we may or may not have some swag for you. So come up, say hi. We love you guys. Thank you so much for everything. David, is there anything that you want to send a, send us off on? No, not really. 
Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. But I'm, cool. I'm super excited for celebration. Like Carl said, uh, we're about to get dressed. I'm about to finish up the last of my little bit of packing and uh, hop on the road and yeah. get on a plane to, to, to London, England. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So uh, please go follow us on. Uh, oh, there we go. Uh, please go follow us on Instagram at Star Wars Stuff Podcast, Twitter at Stuff Pod. Uh, please go on our Patreon. Um, David, do you want to list all the tiers? Go, 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 go. Yeah, purple tier, we have Chris Simpson, Kevin Leininger, Devin McCaffrey, Drew Peters, Sean Greathouse, and Zach Netzel. On the red tier, we have Fenrir 526, Maya Morris, Texas Vader 76. On the black tier, we have Maka, Tautala, Nathan Shake, Evan O'Paker, who we should be seeing here shortly in London, and Liam McCallion. Thank you so much for all your awesome love and support. You've helped us get to London, get to other celebrations, create merch and uh swag so thank you and, so much and you can find us on on patreon.com at star wars stuff podcast 2187 you can also find us on tiktok star wars stuff podcast you can also email us at star wars stuff podcast at gmail.com facebook star wars stuff group and star wars stuff podcast page please go on apple podcast give us a review uh we're also on twitch star wars stuff gaming you can also um find our great friend uh josh here at um at clonin underscore around on instagram and twitter uh, uh no, just instagram just instagram I have nowhere else <laughs> uh again from myself david carl and josh may the force be with you always <laughs> <laughs>